0: This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men In Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! Welcome to a Men In Blazers pod special. A special pod special. One with the coach of the US men's national team, Jurgen Klinsmann, on the eve of the biggest game on home turf, until his boys, oh please God, take Russia by storm at the 2018 World Cup. This Friday, Mexico, in Columbus, in the Hex. Five years and three months have passed since our guests took the helm of our national team. There have been moments of wonder. The 2014 World Cup, we laughed, We cried. There have been nights of, oh, not-in-the-face angst, the 2015 Gold Cup and subsequent stumble in Confederations Cup qualifying against Mexico. And despite the US achieving their ambitious pre-tournament goal of making last summer's Copa America Centenario semi-final, their performances have never shaken an undertow of concern about the overall progress, momentum, team chemistry and tactical acumen of the overall programme, in part because those performances have just never quite met those we long for deep in our hearts and dreams. The US enter the vaunted hex with a squad at the time of transition caught between the sliding generational tectonic plates of vaunted aged warriors, your Jermaine Joneses and Tim Howards, And the newly shaving heroes, Christian Pulisic and Jordan Morris. It's a time of hope. It's a time of fear. And the fact that the heck starts in the most magical of ways in Columbus, American soccer's Castle Black, against regional arch rivals Mexico, a game in which any score but dos acero will be analysed as a referendum on the health of the entire US soccer programme. Well, it means the stakes. They couldn't be any higher for both manager and team. To gain a sense of where we are from his perspective, a state of the state of the Jurgen Klinsmann tenure, so to speak, I traveled down to Washington DC to talk change, risk, and what it will take for the United States to go next level. Sitting right here before me in your nation's capital, we welcome to the pod. The 1990 World Cup champion as a player and for the last five plus years manager of your U.S. men's national team, the one and only Mr. Jürgen Klinsmann. Thanks.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, I'm <laughs> Delighted to be with you, Jürgen. What a summer it's been. I mean, first up, we saw Iceland in the Euros beating England. God, did that really happen? Wales beating Belgium 3-1, reaching the semi-final. We are all enchanted. Were you sitting there watching and thinking, why not the USA in a major tournament?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Why not us making a big splash in one of these big tournaments? And that's our dream. That's what we're working towards. We want to be in Russia in two years from now, and we want to make a big surprise. We want to get to the quarters and, if possible, into the final four. I think this summer was huge. Copa America with Brazil. Argentina, Colombia, Chile, and getting into the final four was a tremendous experience. And I think it gives our players the belief that if everything works perfectly, if I give everything I have, I have a shot at it. When you look at the world football and
0: the hierarchy, there's the elite, the Argentinas, the Germanys, the chasing pack, France, Uruguay, Colombia, the wild cards, Italy, Croatia, Mexico, In your thinking, not by FIFA's kind of crazy rankings, but in reality, how far back are the U.S. right now?
1: When you go into these big tournaments, if it's a Euros or if it's a Copa America and obviously a World Cup, you make sure that everything fits perfectly. You're perfectly prepared physically on top of your game. You put a lot of work into your team as a unit, but then comes the mental side of it. And the mental side, I think we're still behind. We're behind in the mindset, okay, you know what? We can play now Argentina high to eye. <laughs> and that's the same with Mexico. And it's the same with other countries when they face suddenly Germany or they face Brazil and they see the yellow jerseys or they face Argentina and the other side is Messi and Mascherano. Then there comes this whole mental ball game, Like the Icelands of the world Show They took them on. They had no fear at all. Wales had no fear at all. And then that's when you can surprise a lot of people. See, I was in Iceland this summer before the Euros. Beautiful country.
0: An exquisite country. And I hope to go back there many, many times. And I, I sat down with Guilfi Sigurdsson. And I said to him, in qualifying, you beat the Netherlands twice. Once <laughs> after they just got into the World Cup semi-final. I said, like, were you shocked that you were able to beat the Netherlands? And he looked at me as if the question was stupid, Jürgen. And he said, no, because... We are Vikings, we have a Viking mentality and whenever the whistle's about to blow we always are confident of victory. When the US players do line up against an Argentina, in their heads right now, do they have a sense that victory is possible and what do we need to do to get them to that
1: place if not? We have a sense that it's possible if we played those nations several times over the years and we get some results. We beat Germany twice in the last few years, we beat Holland, we beat Italy. So you need to play those nations as often as you can. So in a certain way, you got to play up. We have no fear for Mexico and Mexico is one of the best teams around there. But there's no fear because it's Mexico because we play them every year. So when Iceland plays Holland twice, then they go into the Euros and say, so if we played Holland twice and we beat them, why can't we beat the other ones? you got to build that belief. And for a nation like us that is not in the top 10, 15 in the world, the only way that we get there is to play these nations as often as we can. So in a certain way, you know, down the road, we might have to qualify for a World Cup through the UEFA or through CONMEBOL, Because that's when you play the best teams possible as often as possible. And that gives you then the belief, you enter a big tournament, now you say, you know what, we played them twice last year, no big deal. One maybe we lost, one we tied, and here and there we're going to win one. And then the mental game is a completely different one. When you go on the field and you see there, Messi, Mascherano, Higuaín, they're oh, I know these guys, you know, I played them. <laughs> and now you go at them and give them a real fight.
0: I mean, it's funny you mention UEFA or Combo yeah. qualifying for the US, because it's completely a hypothetical. But Australia were tired of qualifying through Oceania, where they were playing incredible minnows on a regular basis. And they made a bold decision to move federations, place themselves in a much more competitive Asia federation. They jumped on in there. They immediately had more competition. They became more battle hardened. They had higher profile games, more revenue for the Australian Football Association. Positives all around. The team have really jumped up and transformed themselves as a result. Is it crazy to think that the U.S. would ever leave CONCACAF where they're playing the St. Kitts and the St. Vincent and the Grenadines and start to play, test themselves against the Comoros? Is that even a conversation, even a possibility?
1: I don't know. I mean, there was not a conversation for Australia years ago, and then they did it. <laughs> I think the key challenge for us, for Mexico, or also Costa Rica, for the top teams in CONCACAF is how can we play up? How can we get these Copa Americas Every time a Copa America comes along, we need to play there. We need to challenge ourselves with the best out there. Only if I play better teams, that's the only way I move upwards. Down the road, we definitely have to figure out ways to play better teams as often as we can in order to improve our team. If we could jump into Common qualifying right now and play the
0: Argentinas, the Brazils, the Uruguays, the Ecuadors. Massive games there. Huge games here. Huge draws, huge profile raises. Not just more of a challenge. You could
1: make that switch, would you? You want to challenge yourselves with the best in the world at the end of the day. The reality is, if you would theoretically play qualifying through Common Ball or qualifying through UEFA, the reality is we might not qualify. <laughs> So that's as simple as that. If you look at UEFA, what teams sometimes stay behind from a World Cup, same at common ball, it's kind of a bit scary. <laughs> but in order to become better in your overall program and your players getting better players and your team is becoming a better team, that's what you should do at the end of the day. But the risk is there that you're not qualifying.
0: If England can get into the World Cup <laughs> through UEFA, again, Realistically, how much can we close the gap mentally, performance wise between now and 2008 when the world cup rolls around what amount of change is really possible rationally without magical thinking
1: well we need to constantly challenge every individual player to go to his possible highest level he can play so play at the biggest team you can play against the best players that you can play in order to get better simple as that and the same with the team as a whole Figure out ways to play top European nations, top South American nations. You might get beaten a couple of times, but if you want to improve your program, that's what you got to do.
0: But in the next two years as a team, Jürgen, how much performance wise can you see us closing the gap
1: with the big teams and the pretenders? Well, I think, you know, we're making big strides over the last years. We are not afraid or you call it maybe having too much respect. There's more and more the belief growing that we can compete with anybody out there. But you need to do it on a regular basis, just not here and there. I think this Copa America showed that we went in the face of Ecuador, we went in the face of Colombia. Obviously, Messi gave us a lesson then, which was totally fine. We beat Paraguay in an exciting game. So these nations see what's going on here. They say, whoa, they're not shying off at all anymore. That's the only way that gets us to a Final Four in a World Cup is that drive and that belief in yourself that you can just go with them.
0: You mentioned the Cooper came after a Tough year. There was the euphoria of the World Cup 2014 run. The team then experienced a hangover of types, the 2015 Gold Cup, the Mexico Confederations Cup playoff loss, and then the Copa. Remarkable. Reaching your pre-tournament goal of a semi-final place before being comprehensively beaten by Lionel Messi's Argentina. When you look at the five-year journey you've had with the U.S. men's national team, Jürgen, what do you see? that you're the most successful coach in U.S. men's national team history, which you are as we sit here, or frustration at the rate of progress.
1: I'm excited about what lays ahead of us. The last five years, we did a lot, a lot of work on younger players coming through the ranks and seeing their potential and make them understand what it really means to become a pro. So there's a lot of educational work behind the scenes, there's a lot of communication with players in their environments to make them understand you need to play up, you need to go to the biggest club possible, you need to challenge yourself wherever you are. There were some great faces in those five years, obviously there was a dip in 2015 with that gold cup, you know, with very controversial gold cup. But it's also part of it because you need to go through lows in order to understand you know what goes wrong and who to count on who not to count on in general i think there is so much progress being made overall with soccer in the united states because of the game is just growing in all levels it's growing in the youth side in the school side in all directions obviously very proud of mls getting bigger and stronger trying to figure out ways to improve their product. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Nobody is perfect. You can always discuss things, but the locomotive of everything is the national team. And if the national team does well, then everything else comes along. And I think by showing people that we can go to Brazil and survive a group of death, that we can go into Copa America and <laughs> beat Paraguay and Ecuador, and go friendlies in Europe and beat certain teams, that sends signals to the rest of the world. And obviously we always have to go through our qualifying campaign. Mexico will always be the biggest rival. But at the end of the day, we need to figure out ways how to play up. Cassio, when well, you mentioned the low times, when they occur,
0: when the media are piling on, when for the first time there's discussions about job security. Have there been days when you look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs>
1: No. Bad moments or bad results. These periods are just normal part of professional sports and the critics coming out and everybody has his own opinion. That's just what I live with since 35 years. So I let them all talk. Some critics might be right and you take it. So oh, I mean, here's, a, here's a point. has a point. But Overall, what you're trying to do is when you're at the position as a coach, you know, not playing anymore. I mean, I obviously enjoyed the playing side the most. I think Spurs
0: um, fans still want you back in the team.
1: <laughs> what you're trying to do is you're trying to really help players to understand what it takes to get to their next personal level, and when you see them players coming along, some players making a step backwards, then two forwards. And the keyboard is always patience and everyone is different. And that's what I really love in that job. It is that personal relationship with the players to say, hey, you know, you're just at 70%, you're at 65%. You might be at 80%, but what about the next 20? And then kind of melting this into a team environment and making sure they understand the team components and then wait for these big moments. You wait for Cup America, you wait for World Cup to prove the point. But getting criticised is just a normal part of your job.
0: We're about to begin your second hex. How have you changed in your own fundamental approach over the past five plus years? I ask you, I mean, at your opening press conference, you talked about a more proactive style of play, impose a little bit of the game on the opponent. But after watching the US play at the Copa, more pragmatic, reactive football, seeing the likes of Leicester City, Atletico Madrid, Prosper with a brutally efficient counter-attack. Have you begun to rethink the tactical style that the football your US team are playing?
1: Oh, definitely. You rethink that all the time. Your tactical approach is based on the player material you have. It's based on where they're coming from, their characteristics, how does that melt together the best way possible. Definitely, it went into a proactive style in a very aggressive going-forward style when the opponents allow that as well. You know, when you are now hit the Colombias of the world or the Argentinas of the world. If you go at them with 200 miles an hour and you high pressure them all over, then after 25 <laughs> minutes, they're going to they're gonna kill you. Maybe not only kill you with four goals, they might give you seven or eight, like Mexico experience with Chile. I think the learning curve at the end of the day is that the players understand the more they work on themselves and improve their own individual game, the more we can improve the collective game, the better they are technically, technically aware the more we can move that whole game forward. So that's why we are so eager to bring youngsters more and more along because they can really put their stamp on our style of play on our tactical approach over the next years to come. And I think we made big strides in that. I, mean, I want
0: to ask you about these youngsters coming through because for the US, this does seem to be a delicate time of transition. Your warriors, Kyle Beckerman, Clint Dempsey, Jermaine Jones, they're going to be closer to 40 than 30 by the time Russia rolls around in 2018. And if you don't make changes and go with, say, the Polisics, the Jordan Morrises, and stay with the tried and tested players that we know and love, don't you feel at this point that we know exactly how far we can get and that history is just going to repeat itself?
1: Um, That's the challenge for every coach out there, how to make a transition happening between... To world Cups, so it is crucial that the Christian Pulisic, is that the Jordan Morrises, the Julian Greens, the John Brookes, the, the Andre Yetlin's of the world, the Ethan Hobart, that they make that a very, very strong push, because you, you go into a World Cup, you cannot rely on players that are beyond 35. Physically, it's not doable. So, hopefully, we can get this transition moving faster over the next 18 months. You know, to get a clearer picture of who is ready to do that. We are kind of dependent on what these players are doing in their club environments. How far they can make it in their club environments. Do they play every weekend? Do they make a push to the better teams, to the higher profile teams? What do they learn? Are they playing just, you know, normal league games? Or are they playing maybe, you know, Europa League? Are they maybe playing in Champions League? This is our hope is the more players in the Champions League, the better your quality as a national team.
0: In your preference to the Ark of the Hex would we see a lot of new blood bed at the heart of
1: this US team? We will bring definitely new blood through the hacks. I mean, one thing is you gotta get the results done. That's the clear message to every coach out there. At the same time, we have to keep on transitioning our team to a younger generation. You're a world-class footballer,
0: Jürgen. World-class footballers like Platini. Or well, in England, Glenn Hoddle often find it hard to be coaches. They don't appreciate the mindset of players who are just good and what they think about the game as opposed to truly great. I mean, you've got to do something even harder as a manager. You have to put yourself in the head of a young American who grew up in Seattle or Hawthorne, California and understand their mentality, how they see the world and the game. Over the past five years, what's been your biggest learning about how the mind of an American player is fundamentally <coughs> different to a German one?
1: I always say that you're a child of your environment. And the environment here in the United States is very, very different to where I grew up in Germany or a kid grows up in England or a kid grows up in Brazil. On top of that, with every younger generation, you have a completely different culture around them. It's so different to the past. So that's why I never like to talk about the past. I like to talk about now and tomorrow. And I need to learn every day about the world, the younger people living in. The challenges are then... Kind of similar to Europe and South America as well. We're living in the times of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and all that stuff. We, The players are heavily influenced by what outside people say, blog, comment on because they look at that stuff. The first question every time you get a different hotel is what's the Wi-Fi password? You know, it's <laughs> absolutely not important, but obviously it is important. <laughs> And it makes it tough for that younger generation really to maximize their potential. I'm glad that I'm not playing anymore. I mean, because you're so distracted all the time. So the few ones then understand that actually and say, you know what, my priorities are the right ones, my time management is the right one, they can make a huge difference. So for us coaches, we got to figure out ways actually to get to them, make that clear to them that don't waste your time. Oh, can we talk about
0: the goalkeeper yeah. situation? The two-state solution, Tim Howard, Brad Guzant. How long do you see that going on for? I mean, different goalkeepers, they communicate differently with the back line. Hard for the defense to find stability while constantly adjusting to different strengths and weaknesses.
1: At the end of the day, it's down to quality. Who's better? Who's better and who's giving us more the feeling that he's the best goalkeeper we need right now? If that's still down the road, Tim Howard, it's Tim Howard. If it's Brad, it's Brad. But if it's Ethan Howard, maybe then it's up to him. It's uh, David Bingham is coming through. William Yarbrough, fighting his way through in Liga MX and La Leon in Mexico. That's the easier part for a coach because it's really down to performances.
0: Will we see one goalkeeper for the Hex?
1: No, you probably see several goalkeepers for the Hex
0: can't wait i've still got a shot
1: i've still got a shot you're still you're still in there
0: i want to ask you a question in your role as united states technical director youth development i mean you've talked about how the foundation in the u.s still fragile disconnected the youth leagues do their own thing the professional system not connected to the amateur system properly the progress you see over the past five years how would you grade it
1: i think there have been made big steps forward already before i came on board five years ago with the fact that we started an academy system and we kind of expand that academy system more and more all over the country the more people are involved in the game more people are scouting and looking for the talent out there there's more communicated to coaches to kids to parents about the game of soccer than ever before it's growing but obviously it's not there yet oh my gosh if we compare ourselves with the big football nations around the world then we still have a way to go but that's all right. There's so much reason there to be optimistic because it's getting better and better. And What grade would you uh, give it right now? I don't know. I, I think it's, it's very unique, the American model, because there's no other model in the world that drives a sport towards education. Nowhere in the world you get a scholarship for playing soccer. So 99% of the young boys and girls are driven to get a scholarship at college. This whole educational component that is unique only in the United States is driving sports in this country. And that's why they won the most medals in Rio de Janeiro, because it's driven by the scholarship system, which is absolutely fascinating. So now the rest of the world, especially the big football nations, they're driven only by performance and as quickly as possible, as young as possible, and as tough as possible. Here it's a different way, so we have to find different ways also to deal with our younger kids and deal with coaches' education and parents' education because of the educational background. So
0: there's one game-changer that you could enforce that would make a huge difference. What would it be?
1: Definitely that the college system goes into a 10-month season and no more substitutions than three players a game would close a huge gap in our development, of players. Oh,
0: let's make it happen. The opening of the Hex looms upon us. Couldn't start in any more epic seismic way. USA, Mexico, in the formidable storm's end that is Columbus. The US, I mean, we have so few massive clashes in qualifying. Not to say we win all the games, because this is CONCACAF, but this game is traditionally the clash of the region's two big dogs. Do you see Mexico games? as the one true referendum for U.S. progress in World Cup qualifying.
1: No, I see them as very unique challenges and every game is different with Mexico, but it is the biggest game of our qualifying campaign because it's the best team out there with us in the CONCACAF region. So you need those three points right away. You need to make sure that they are not getting off to a good start. They will be the biggest rival, you know, to win the group. But also for us, it's always the best benchmark. They have Six, seven players now in Champions League in Europe. So they've done a lot of good stuff the last couple of years, even if they've struggled also here and there. This is what we need. This type of a benchmark we would love to have week in, week out. How important is it
0: in your mind for the US to beat Mexico and show that we're the dominant team in the region? Or for you, is it just enough we qualify as one of the top three teams in the HEX? Is there a difference that losing
1: to Mexico would bring in your mind? Because it means so much to the people, the fans on the Hispanic side but also on purely American side is it is just a good feeling. It just gives everything a bigger picture. You have the confidence then, okay, you know what, we beat Mexico now, let's go down to Costa Rica and make it happen there. It has a definitely higher meaning than any of the other World Cup qualifiers. Five and a half years in.
0: Can you name one thing you would have done differently in that time? Is there something that in retrospect you'd like to have back?
1: I would have loved to play another Copa America in that five years. I think that experience this summer was so big that I would have gone for the last Copa America for every little Copa America out there. I think overall, I wouldn't have changed much. For me personally, it's a huge learning curve as a European person guiding the United States through that region here is a a tremendous experience. I would have done better individual games probably in the region of Honduras going into Guatemala. These places that I also experienced my first time, yes, now I have the experience. I know how to deal with it. So going to
0: uh, San Pedro Sula, where we opened the Hex last cycle and lost 2-1. Now with that experience, you feel I would have
1: brought a totally different team. I would never have brought the Europeans over because they had three days just to adjust to that air, the humidity, the heat, and they were just falling apart on the field. And I felt really <laughs> bad for them. This is the learning curve that also we coaches go through. Now you went through all that and you know the places and you feel comfortable wherever you go. Overall, you actually fine with the process. At the top of the interview, we talked about how far back
0: the US are currently from the chasing pack, the pretenders to really a World Cup final, the Uruguays, the Frances, the Belgians. If there was one thing that I could give you, if you, a genie in a lamp came and said I could give you one wish in the next two years, either a kind of player the US doesn't currently have like a creative playmaker or a quality that the team overall could summon through qualifying that will put us over the top be game-changing for the US in World Cup 2018. Jürgen, what would it be?
1: No, it's an impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, every coach would start with a list of players that we all adore, from the Messi's, Ronaldo's to the Neymar's of the world. The Kyle Beckermans, um, the Linden Gooches. But what is unique with the United States is that melting pot of characters, of different backgrounds that everyone has. And once they come into this group here, no matter if they're half Europeans, they're half South Americans or Mexican, or wherever their background comes from, how this group always masters to get together and get things done it's absolutely fascinating and in a certain way this is what represents the United States worldwide there's no other team in the US that documents the cultural differences and all the diversity more than we do and this is absolutely fascinating and I'm myself part of it now living almost 20 years in the United States I would not change that at all that defining trait to get things done yeah, I think so. I think there's this piece in American culture that says what the bottom line is. Well, the bottom line is to qualify. The bottom line is to beat Mexico. I love that because there's always an end result in mind. And hopefully that's going to be a, a semifinal in a World Cup down the road.
0: Jürgen, from your mouth to God's ear, I'll say that everyone listening to this broadcast joins me in wishing you and your team Godspeed Thank you, Jürgen.
1: Thank you. Pleasure.
0: Friday, you can't come quick enough. Until then, stay tuned to our social media and website for some videos of this interview that we'll be releasing throughout the long, dark, optimistic, pessimistic days that lie between. We'll also be sending out a special a really special USA versus mexico theme newsletter this Thursday. You can subscribe, Please subscribe, do it now, online at meninblazers.com, among other USA-Mexico features. We'll have a piece on the best place in Columbus for a pint of Guinness. And we'll also talk to Columbus crew and US legend Frankie Hayjunk. No one knows where the Guinness is hidden in Columbus better than that man. If you aren't fortunate enough, to be able to rub shoulders with the American outlaws descending upon Columbus, no doubt, as we speak. The game will be broadcast on Fox Sports 1 under the safe, assuring wings of, oh, President Rob Stone, 7.45pm Eastern on Friday. And in the words of our Lord, Surian Dark, Go, go, USA.